This is our Suburb Trends episode for May 2022 and we're trying something different. Suburb Karaoke, what is this all about? A bit of fun mixed in with serious property data. We'll be covering areas that our listeners have asked about, parts of FNQ, (laughs) Tassie, Northern Rivers in New South Wales, Bayside, Melbourne, outer suburbs of Brisbane and beaches south of Adelaide. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxdale's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecast report which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au This month, Kent is introducing us to Suburb Karaoke. Can you kick us off by briefly explaining what we're in for, Kent? Yes, what I do is I take a request, like a karaoke request from somebody saying, hey, I've got a suburb, will you look at it? And uh, the background to this was actually doing it in a Facebook Live session. So people would throw suburbs at me live and I would have to respond and do research real time. And I'm using my own software, my own map, the the suburb trend stuff. So I know where everything is and I was cutting and pasting. Long story short, Facebook killed it because I was putting so much content in there so fast they thought it was a robot and that was the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) You're kidding me. I did not know that. So I was helping people. I was doing, it was genuine and because it was so fast in my cut and paste, cut and paste, and you know, responding, because it wasn't, it, you know, it was a live session, but in text format and images, and uh, face, Facebook didn't like it. That is a, you broke Facebook. Yeah, so anyway, they can go, and you know what. So now know. we're doing it on the elephant and Here we go. Oh, that is interesting. I did not know that. I just thought you got sick of Facebook because I know you got sick of I Facebook I am, I'm for sick of Facebook, reasons. totally sick of Facebook, but diff- <laughs> different topic. All right. So let's kick off. We did um, ask listeners uh, some time back for some um, requests and we did get some. So let's start with Tracy's question. She says she wanted to ask if we had anyone experienced in the Ballina region. Now, we'll just drop in here that we did interview a buyer's agent from that area, Michael Murray, some time back. He didn't talk a lot about Ballina, but it might be worth going back and listening to that episode. That's number 173. But for the purpose of this, the question is, is it a good idea to buy a house in as an investment? This is a written before the floods, by the way. Mm. Is West Ballina too industrial? Will the spread from Byron and Lennox Head reach Ballina as a good place to live, affordable rent and sense of community? Where to stay away from? Water with potential floods. So she was onto it. Is it a solid option for capital growth? So over to you, Kent. Yes. Well, the first thing I like to do is uh, look at a satellite image and zoom in. And you've got one side of the Pacific Highway is the coast and the river. Uh, on the other side, a smaller river runs up there, but you've got a lot of a lot of swamp um, on the other side of it. So uh, when you when you think of Ballina or when you think of West Ballina, I think for a long time to come, we will be thinking of floods. So. Um, a couple of suburbs that I'd certainly recommend to look at that it's only just up the road, but literally up, uh, Alstonville, Wollongbar uh, are a couple, and then Ganelabar. So these are suburbs that have been appearing on my radar because of the data speaking for itself. 
And these are really good old established suburbs that are a bit further up, they're higher. So no doubt they'll be in a bit of demand right now. And the rental markets all the way through this area, they've been solid. But what we're trying to do is obviously identify the locations that are going to have the better capital gains as first priority and then yields as a second priority. So I would probably sidestep West Ballina and I'd go a few suburbs up the road. Interesting stuff. So I love the map. I know that Chris loves maps and through Chris's, you know, interest in reading maps, I've discovered the joys of them as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The swamp, how do you see swamp on a map though? Well, yeah, it's it, you start with the satellite image and you zoom in, and, and if you just keep on zooming in, it's just on the other side of Teven Road there, you'll see um, sitting be- between a creek, so Emigrant Creek it's called, uh, between the two you'll see several spots there um, that are effectively swamps. Um, so, you know, West Ballina, there's a, there's a bit of land as well, uh, and a lot of those that land along there, uh, is probably still being used for sugarcane. And, you know, it's only a matter of time where that, that gets rezoned or it may already be rezoned and suddenly you've got a new estate or a new industrial area as well. So, you know, one of the, the there's a, quite a few good things we like to, to look at when we zoom in on these satellite images is how much land is there around the spot. So will we have that constraint of supply looking forward? And West Ballin has got plenty of land. It's got Plenty of swamp as well. <laughs> it's only last week we um, had a client looking at Ballina, so it's just a coincidence here and I was chatting to him about it. And um, it's sort of my view is is if you're uh, – the work-from-home movement's a big part of this, right? So what's what driven prices in the last um, two years? But what's going to keep on driving it long-term is, you know, people being able to work remote and high-income people moving there and potentially commuting. And what I love about Ballina is the airport, right? It's four flights um, to Sydney a day. Uh, not just one, as you can always go, go to Melbourne. And if you book in advance, you know, you're only looking, you know, 150 bucks return. Um, so, you know, you can try fly pretty cheaply and pretty quickly to our capital cities. But if people are moving there and they're leaving our capital cities, where do they want to be? They want to be on the beach, right? Um, and so I'd be looking at the sort of the beachside suburbs. And, you know, this client in particular was looking at places like Skinner's Head, um, you know, and, and Lennox Head and, and things like that, just to the north of Ballina, because... Um, or your hinterland properties, and, and they actually coincidentally, um, Kent, were actually looking at um, Alstonville. They were oh, like, it's good. a bit cheap. They're a bit cheaper. They're like, look, we can go to the sort of beach suburb, but we quite also like um, Alstonville. We've got a good community, and it's you know, it's a, um, we can still easily get to the town. We can still easily get to the beach as well, um, and it's just a little bit out of town, but not too you know secluded. And so, um, yeah, it was really interesting, sort of. You know, chatting to them, and I absolutely think that it'll do well, especially because of the airport. Um, and you know, and, and you'll have to come back after the floods, but also that probably caused a lot of money get reinvested back into the town and new shops and new businesses, etc. So, yeah, I think it's a great bet. Well, the roads have been fantastic for some time, but uh, one big new development um, further north is the new Tweed Valley Hospital. So, yeah, anything up towards that end of town is very much going to benefit from that uh, new hospital. The flooding is an interesting thing and and I think we're going, I think, I can't remember when we're going to release this episode. I think it's actually after our uh, interview with a historian who has written all about 
Brisbane floods going back well over 100 years. And so it is got to be interesting around, you know, the impact of the floods around this area. However, we do have short memories, but I wonder whether the New South Wales governments and um, local governments and also the federal government are going to bite the bullet and actually relocate some of those people in low-lying areas. But I have, uh, I know someone that actually moved, has a place up in McLean's Ridges, and they showed me an aerial shot of the place uh, without a flood and then with the flood. And where they are, it was like an island mm. in a huge sea. And I was actually shocked. I heard, of, I knew there were floods, but honestly, this was next level. And certainly, Austinville and those those places that are up high, um, uh, you know, the value of that. I guess being right outside the flood zone is is fresh in everyone's minds now. I just wonder how permanent that will stay. Yes, I, I looked at uh, quite a few white papers over the years, um, and. You know, the, the lesson learned is that the lasting effect is ultimately insurance if it flows on to valuations mm. and policy. Um, so I think if, if, if the insurance um, changes permanently, uh, so do prices. Yep. If insurance doesn't change permanently, people do have very short memories. Right. The, the problem is then people don't often get an insurance quote before they buy the property, but I guess if word gets <laughs> around, um, you know, that will impact on prices, that's for sure. All right, our next suburbs from Zachary, Elwood in Victoria. It's an inner Melbourne suburb next to St Kilda with an interesting building makeup reunits. This is what Zachary is saying. As we know, um, unit data includes both old-style small blocks and new off-the-plan apartments. This makes the growth data hard to interpret as most of those property types get mashed together to make up the apartment market. Certainly been listening to us. He knows that we <laughs> whinge about Very that true. too. Elwood, however, has very few new apartments compared to old apartments. Wondering if Kent could examine the apartment trends here as an almost natural experiment, i.e. the growth of old-style apartments as 90% are old. Alternatively, does Kent have a way to examine growth for apartments given they are greater than X years old, for example? Great question. And what do we have? Yes. Look, uh, overall, uh, I looked at um, the SA3 of Port Phillip um, that it belongs to, and units across the board have been rather lacklustre. Um, Yes, there is uh, a distinct submarket group, which is the older style walk-up units. That's a given. Uh, your Art Deco is another submarket group. So yes, you do have multiple submarket groups that that apply to to units. But overall, uh, as an asset class, I keep on saying it. It's around half. You know, I'm, just, I'm averaging out on a national level here, but it's around half the long-term capital growth. So the biggest call-out, the biggest problem we're going to see in the next six to twelve months is. Uh, because of affordability in the capital cities, a lot of people are going to be highlighting or it'll be certainly being the headlines how well units are performing. But that'll be a very short-term perspective, how well they've done in the last year or how long they've done in the last two or three years off a rather subdued base. And if you zoom out to that 10-year view, it's typically half uh, of what you get from a house. So with that said, looking at Port Phillip SA3, 2% per annum compared to houses, 9%. So neither market's really done extraordinarily well when you compare to some others areas that we're saying, you know, 20% growth and some crazy figures in the last few years. Um, but it's done done well, reasonably well over the last 10 years for houses, but not so um, for units. So uh, I, I'd certainly um, uh, be cautious about, uh, you know, jumping into the unit market if you don't have to. And I think the other key thing, a couple of key things for, for Melbourne in particular is a lot of the build to rent people are focusing in on Melbourne. 
uh, and Sydney. Just it's their easy, it's their go to. So you're going to get a lot of co- competition from the build to rent space. Now, um, just a, a, a point uh, regards to what Zachary was asking about how do I distinguish a look at the growth rate? I think an easy way to do it is get yourself a list of properties that you know are older style and just look them up on REAL domain and look at their sale history and then just record the the growth rate, the average annual growth rate for each one just by looking at their sale history. So obviously you need a, a recent sale and then a historical sale, say, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. And then just, just do that a few times and you'll get a pretty good feel. Um, one of the problems with the newer stock, obviously you're not going to have those repeat sales. So you'll probably have to rely on apartments that are five or six years old to then start to look at repeat sales there. It's sort of sad, isn't it? Because um, even though Elwood has a higher proportion of uh, older builds than new builds compared to some other suburbs, it's still impacted by the fact there's been a massive oversupply in Melbourne though, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit like some of the suburbs in Sydney that have been impacted, the knock-on effect of of too much uh, development in nearby suburbs. I think with uh, Melbourne and Elwoods, if you're going to own a unit, you'd think this is one of the better spots, right? Mm, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really appeals to sort of young families, you know, houses are, from what I'm looking at, more in that sort of 2.5 to sort of $3 million range. Um, you know, but if you're going to get like a smaller two bed or a one bed, you know, that's not going to suit the family market. The thing that's really going to drive unit prices up in Melbourne is when the families can't afford to buy houses in areas that they don't that they want to live. So they can't mm. afford to buy in the east. They can't afford to buy in the inner ring in the north, in the good parts of the inner west. They they don't really want to go to Geelong or Mornington or to the middle and outer suburbs. So then the, the high-income family market shifts to the apartments and they go, well, where's our dream suburbs to, to own an apartment? And, and Elwood would be behind that list because it's a bit quieter than, say, you know, St Kilda's, you know, got a few challenges um with you know demographics and people and renters and um and things like that and noise Uh, so families don't want to be in that maybe they don't want to be a bit further down like brighton and even though that probably be a good place as well but that would be a great pocket from that and there's very little development and if they build build new stuff it's going to be higher priced than the current stock from what i probably would guess because it would probably suit the downsizers rather than the families you know it's a better market to sell to so I think it's a great place to own a unit. Would I buy a unit there as the number one choice? I probably wouldn't. I mean, I think you're waiting for that to happen. And the people who did that the last few years, you know, would have missed out on all the growth if they went into the housing market. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, f- from a long-term point of view, is it a, one of the better places to own a unit in Melbourne? Yes. But is that the best place to have, you know, a million dollars, which is probably what you're going to have to roughly spend to get a bigger, older apartment with parking on a good street in Elwood, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's that's how I'd be thinking about it. I guess the biggest uh, problem look, is that if someone can only invest a million, they're not going to be able to afford to buy a house, are they? So that therein lies the problem. So then they're like, well, if I've got a million dollars to invest, would I look at apartment in Elwood? Um, well, this, this, the affordability and older unit situation is something we're very familiar with in, say, the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Mm. And and you know what we always found was one particular submarket group of of units that was always in high demand and and got some of the best uh, prices were the uh, garden apartments. So it was that mm. you know fallback. Yep. Okay, so you could at least have a kid and th- throw the kid in the back in the back area. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You stole my thunder there, Ken. I actually meant to say that. The garden apartments, you know, absolutely perfect. I mean, especially if you've got a, you know, courtyard on title, it suits the downside. It's got the little dog, you know, and it suits the family who wants the dog and the one kid. And, um, and they're super scarce, you know, developers aren't building them right. And so uh, that's the stuff that would do really well in Melbourne, you know, especially a very cute looking art deco building with nice gardens on a beautiful street. Um, surrounded by you know very few other apartment blocks and ideally expensive houses um and yeah you, you do well but I, I i guess i'd just be thinking like is that the most optimal way to invest your money you know is there could you go into a housing market in different parts of melbourne for that you know um could you go like in the north could you go in the inner west um i don't know but that's what i'd be thinking I don't think you can for a million bucks anymore, can you, Ken? It's getting tight. But you could have potentially 12 months ago, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and so, but, yeah, it'd be, it'd be worth exploring that to then go, okay, well, if I've got a million dollar budget in Melbourne, is that the best place? I yeah, and I, I guess it's a case of two. You've got something halfway in between the villas. Um, you know, the capital growth is about halfway in between as well. So if you can find villas or even townhomes as opposed to apartments, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, halfway between the two in terms of style but also capital gain well it's a good point ken because you could go that you could go look i'm going to go for the housing market in the inner north or in the west or maybe i'll go for the villas and i'll go down bayside right i'll go down towards brighton and down the sort of sandringham train line and um that could also make sense if you get a bigger two-bedroom uh, villa with a little garden with parking in a nice cute street surrounded by four million dollar houses uh, for a million bucks, you'd probably go for that as well. Or so. they'd rent they'd rent like houses any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> true. Yeah, rents aren't much different, right? So Yeah. Cool. So hopefully that helps that person in Elwood. Zachary. Amelia, she has said that some of us that we are interested in are Fernie Hills in Queensland as an investment looks attractive as there's a development underway building a shopping centre plus apartments over the Fernie Grove train station. Note that we are interested in established home and Fernie Hills and Fernie Grove are under different councils. Another suburb we're looking at, and I don't know how they can put the, the two together, but this is for a <laughs> principal place of residence and that's in Taruna, Tassie. Uh, love your work. Thank you, Amelia. Love your work too. So let's hit Fernie Hills first. That's sort of outer, isn't it? Sort of acreage Brisbane out near Stanford. Is it Stanford? Samford? Uh, Samford? Samford? Samford Valley, um, mm. just on that north side. So if you kind of go up and go to the Gap and then you go up a couple of suburbs just north, you've got Upper Kedron and then you hit Fernie Grove. That's the first one. And then if you go further up again, you hit Fernie Hills. Um, so, you know, these the, some of these have got some... Love, lovely views if you, you know, nice vistas and views um fernie grove i think has the train station obviously uh and i think it's the last train stop along that particular mm, line the end of the so, line the end of the line and then you then you go up into fernie hills now of interest though is is it's a catch um, 22 though is at the end of the line in the morning it's great you get the first one on the train and you guarantee the seat if you <laughs> on the way back you can be standing out for a long time too, if it's uh, a busy train, right? Yeah, and and people, I've read some blog posts about the gap and uh, anyone who has to kind of get in the traffic uh, at peak hour trying to get into town um, on the Waterworks Road, um, they often complain that it's a, a fairly long queue getting on mm. and, you know, getting through the lights and whatnot. So, um, But the gap has continually stood out as a really high-performing suburb and, you know, the numbers put Gap on the radar all the time for me through the last 12 months. So 
Uh, and then now it's starting to, you know, the prices are pushing up for the gap, for example, up, you know, it's nudging towards that million dollar mark. Um, suddenly the ripple effect starts to kick in. So, yeah, Fernie Grove, Fernie Hills, if I were to pick uh, between the two, I'd be going for Fernie Grove. I think Fernie Grove, um, it's a tighter market. Uh, it's got a slightly higher price, but it's seen higher growth at the SA3 level. So it does belong to a different SA3 as well as belong to a, a different council. So uh, the SA3 level, uh, it's been it's grown 4% more in the last 12 months. Um, so the SA3 that Fernie Grove belongs to has grown by 28%. So it's had a huge surge. But based on current market conditions, it still has growth ahead of it. One other thing that stands out is the socio-economics of these suburbs. Um, both of them have a, a score of nine, which is really high. Um, and, and, you know, that's always a good thing. If you're, you're trying to discern or make a, dis a selection between suburb A, B or C, uh, and all the other metrics look rather similar, that's a common go-to for me. And the C for scores of nine means it's a, a fairly advantaged uh, couple mm. of suburbs. Is, so, is that sort of acreage... You know those lifestyle blocks. Is that the sort of property you get out there? Not, not really. I think you've got to go a bit further on the um, other side. down and Valley. on the other side. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's not really the spot where you're going to get um, get that. I remember somebody so sold out of Newport many, many, many years ago and built up there on a two-acre block and did their money basically. That was quite some time ago, but it's just like nothing happened in that market for years, you know. Well, nothing mm. really happened in Brisbane, in fairness, for mm. a long time, right? And it's just played catch up in the last two years. I think uh, we've had lots of clients uh, look into, um, we've had clients buy in sort of Kedron, in um, Everton Park, uh, Mitchelton, um, you know, these uh, had clients originally. We had some investors sort of in the Bardens and the sort of that whole pocket. So people are shifting further out because those other suburbs have gone up, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80%. You know, I did a valuation on clients' property in Barden last week. They bought it for 670 and they got about 1.25. Oh, um, but Barden's with no, been with a no star, renter. absolute um, star performer. And, and that's not too far off other suburbs. We've got a client this morning that bought in Balmoral for a million that's worth 1.75 now. Um in what you know, period of time, though? Uh, three years, um, if that. So, you know, a lot of the inner rings, and these are old Queenslanders around mm. the city that our clients were buying. Um, client bought in Ascot for 1.1. It's worth one, without all offers at 1.7, 1.8. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, absolutely, people are pushed out there because of price point. What I like to do is obviously the train, but I also like sometimes test the, tr the drive. So you can go on Google Maps and put in 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. the next day and see how long it's going to take, and it gives you sort of a, a rough time frame. Um, it's either you get a really good run or you get a really bad run, it seems. It could take anywhere from 22 minutes to 50 minutes, um, and uh, that sometimes forecasts the traffic as well, and so you can see that that could be an issue when you go further out. Um, there's a few places it can really sort of clog up, um, which is what Kent was talking about. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's, it is also covered by escarpment, though, so you've got land that it's going to, you can't keep on building out, so you can't just keep releasing greenfield estates. It's leafy. It's, you know, older houses on reasonable blocks with little development. So um, I'm not, I wouldn't buy there for the reason they mentioned. Um, they're building a shopping centre with some apartments. I mean, <laughs> shopping centre's not going to change the world, but it might create a bit more of a vibe in the area, um, I guess. But 
that's not the reason I'd be buying there. I'd be buying there because it's got great lifestyle without the shopping centre. It's got good schools, got nice blocks, um, and, yeah, and it's obviously what higher-income families are willing to sort of move towards. And I guess the temptation might be to look at units, though, rather than houses, and I imagine Hopefully there's been a not. bit of a difference in performance <laughs> there, um, Kent. <laughs> Yes, when I when I read it, I read it a little bit too quickly, and I, I thought, oh no, you're looking at a, a new <laughs> apartment there. So hopefully not. No, um, you know. But if you, anyone you else don't... is thinking about it, <laughs> <laughs> so no. And then the the last suburb was a, a, a bit of a random all the way down into Tasmania. Um, so a suburb called Taruna, um, and this is a lovely part of the coastline, just just south um, of of Hobart. So rather expensive suburb just to the north called Sandy Bay. So it's, you know, Battery Point, then Sandy Bay, then you hit the suburb called Taruna. Um, now, it's asking prices at the moment, give or take, around eight ninety five thousand. dollars So, um, you know, not, not, yeah, not, <laughs> not overly cheap, but I tell you, um, it's it, the performance has been phenomenal in Hobart South and West SA3 in the last year it's had 28 percent growth it's been been rather strong it's a pretty uh, sexy place if you look at the properties um you know that's what hobart's got right the, the houses on the hill overlooking the bay um and you know you can build some beautiful dream homes um and there's lots of properties selling you know over 1.5 2 million dollars down there um yeah. and you know it's all landlocked it's still very close to all the other premium suburbs um i'd be interested to know what the local schools are like that's what my head would go to. Um, can you get the cashed-up retirees buying there? But would the high-income families in Hobart live there? And is there good schooling options for them? Um, because if they're not, then you, you, your market's going to be smaller, right? Um, especially, you know, pri private schools, high schools don't matter as much. I think you could be willing to put your kids on the bus to go to a good private school. Um, they're going to deal with that commute. But the primary schools, you don't want to be driving you know, an hour every day to send your kid to primary school. So you're going to really miss the family market. So that's what I'd want to know, what the school's like around there. Um, and, yeah, and are younger families moving in there? Is that sort of – or is it just really the older older cohort? So throughout that SA3, there's been a fairly steady increase in listings uh, and inventory that been building fairly consistently month on month back since September. Mm. So I'd say, you know, if, if it keeps on trending the way it is – yeah. The market might start, you know, but by you know, July or August, we might be saying this market's fairly balanced. And uh, it's been a long time since we've said that of most suburbs in and around Hobart. Yeah. Yeah. And we have had um, some other questions around Hobart, so we could expand the, um, the conversation a little bit right now. Because, of course, Hobart has been in the, amongst the top performers for the last few years. We've Absolutely. met many, many years doing nothing. Um, have investors and see or tree changers been um, responsible for that? You know, the migrants or the, the people going back there from the mainland? Um, and is it continuing? Well, I mean, I, I know of a number of people that um, have kind of exited Hobart, tried to find, you know, in attempt to, to work or find work. Um, so a lot of them have been economic refugees but loved the place and couldn't wait to get back. Mm. So, you know, in terms of lifestyle yeah. um, you know, and beauty, hard to beat. Um, so the, the big thing that's obviously changed is, you know, the old analogue boomer CEOs have realised that you can work from home. 
<laughs> I think the interesting thing is like um, people to do that, you'd be cashing in from somewhere and then moving there, you know, like it's the affordability play. Like we can move and we're debt free. Um, we can sell our house in Sydney, Melbourne for two, three million and buy something down there. But now they're going to pay a lot more for the place down there because they've gone up so much. Yeah. Mm. And then the, the market they're potentially selling out, they're not in the, sometimes it's maybe not the best property in Sydney, Melbourne, in the best part of the suburb. And you're starting to see a stock um, increase of poorer properties. And maybe that, you know, there's a big coming off in the market, right? And people are going to go, oh, like, oh, we could have sold for two. Now we can only get 1.75. Oh, it's actually still quite hot down there. Now my changeover is only five, six hundred thousand, not a million, what I thought it would be six months ago. And so yeah. I do think that will then also then cause less people to sell, <clears throat> less people to move interstate, and then the return to work things. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed, but it's going to be interesting to see how that battle plays out. Obviously, I was looking at Apple this week, and Apple want their stuff to come back to the office. Um, and Apple's meant to be the biggest supporter of remote work out there, right? And they're saying come to the office three weeks, three days a week. So. Well, that's not too bad. It's just hard to do that from, from Homer. Tasmania. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Unless Apple opened a head office in Tasmania, which is that's the other thing. If you go to a, you know, a satellite office capital city, like off of Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane, if they say come back for three days, you can still do it. But yeah, um, flying from Hobart to Sydney three days a week, I it adds up. <laughs> one one call out for me is this Exodus phenomenon and the COVID phenomenon is a lot of these regional markets or you know the the secondary city type markets. They've they've boomed because of an increase in demand, but there's no con the constraints aren't land based constraints. The constraints have been mm. supply yeah, very through human supplies. Okay. You know. Yep. So so soon as the dust settles and those other human related constraints can lift, um, suddenly there there could be almost an in infinite new supply of of housing stock, whereas you won't have that constraint long-lasting in the Sydney, inner Melbournes, etc. Mm. That's the mm -hmm. thing to watch for me. And and I keep on going back to Bellingen as a benchmark for that, you know. Look at Bellingen prices right now. You know, what, what's happening in Bellingen? Do tell. Well, <laughs> just this issue that you've had this flurry of love and demand. Mm, yeah. And and, 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 you, and then you do the old map thing like we like to do and it's like, whoa, there's a lot of green there. Although the thing is with Bellingen is a good example of a flood zone. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's river, there's a river, there's um, and it's known the locals up there know you know that there's a whole section of the the town that gets cut off in a big flood. Um, you know, so I think Bellingen's like a, an example where they probably wouldn't for building cost materials, council controls, nimbyism, the greenies, etc. Would would struggle to release lots of land. You know, there'd be there'd be restrictions. But if you think about greenfield estates, absolutely, things on the fringes, the, mm. the affordability market that absolutely had restricted, uh, restricted supply because not many people were selling, huge increase in demand because of low interest rates, and then you had this home builder stimulus which meant people bought new and, and then you've got all these new buildings coming on, builders now looking for work, people looking to sell, and the dynamics completely flipped the other way, more supply than demand, um, and then pe potentially people in under financial stress with higher rates. So. I agree, Kent. That's exactly low supply plus a huge increase in demand has caused prices to go up, not just low interest rates and lots of demand. Mm. It was a sugar fix. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What's the next one, Kent? Love this karaoke. It's good fun. You like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next one um, is Colleen. Um, now, this I'm stealing your section on the, on the sheet here, um, Veronica. Um, Colleen, she wanted um, Victor Harbour and, the, and an adjacent suburb called McCracken. 
in South Australia. Now, Victor Harbour, look at the photos, a beautiful location. Mm. But it's a long way away from it anything. It is. Bloody long way. It Now, I, I, this is actually not a listener. Colleen is actually a, an old client of mine. She rang me from Adelaide the other day and said, oh, Veronica, I found this place in McCracken. Um, I wasn't really cracker. looking. <laughs> I wasn't really looking. But, oh, my God, look at it. I got online. Now, the particular place that she um, she pointed out, I immediately went, oh, I wouldn't buy that for lots of different reasons. But <laughs> she said, it's the end of the train line. You know, Adelaide is going to extend down here surely. And I'm like, it's a long way from Adelaide. Yeah. It's 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 like McLaren Vale's halfway or something. Mm. But I did yep. think. This is interesting because when I looked at the map, and as we like looking at maps, I just thought these are shitload of coastline. If you want to do a sea change from Adelaide, that you could be within an hour's drive, really. Now, this is about an hour and a half away from Adelaide, isn't it? But It's quite far. But yeah, it is. But I just still thought, look, let's talk about this because I actually heard of Victor Harbour. Someone else was mentioning it recently. I thought, let's. So let's, I've been there. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, pre-kids, you know, romantic trip to the winery, oh. I think, for my wife's birthday. Oh, we that's beautiful. We stayed in the Barossa, Adelaide Hills, McLaren Vale, and we stayed on a houseboat in Victor Harbour overlooking the, like, it was like a, I guess it's a, what do you call it, a wetlands with um, all these birds are flying into the houseboat, etc. It's very beautiful, but it's a pretty long way from the city and it's not going to be driven by sort of the affluent home buyers um, or affluent sort of second home sort of people, right? Um, and I think that's that's the issue here is that, yeah, you can get something cheap and affordable, but is it going to, is that the fundamentals going to change? Are people going to all of a sudden go, right, let's move our family down to Victor Harbour and we're earning really good money and mm. it's my dream location. That that would be my mm. challenge. It, it's, you know, it's not the prettiest part outside Adelaide that you could choose. Would you just go to Barossa? Would you go to McLaren Vale? Would you go to Adelaide Hills? Would you go... Um, somewhere down the beaches, you know. Um, yeah. Well, the options. socioeconomic indices, if you look at the neighbourhoods, the SA1 neighbourhoods that make up Victor Harbour, yeah. we've got four ranked one. Ooh. We've got another four ranked two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Three ranked three, and the highest ranked neighbourhood is a rank four. Now, the, I know that sounds snobby, but these, <sighs> if you're making economic decisions, big economic decisions, you will use every number at your disposal. Mm. Yeah, and that's a good to number some, uh, to look at. We were we didn't get couldn't get food, so I think we had to order a pizza from the pub or something because there was no food options. And then we went to the pub to pick it up, and it was a uh, yeah, it's a good experience. I had a beer in there, and uh, yeah, but you know, it was, it was nothing going on in the town. It was um, yeah, a little bit of um, yeah, what's the word? Uh, you know, what's the thing that flows down the street? The street, what's it called? Um, sorry, edit all that. No, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> I needed. That's it. Edit all that. The um. Not only that, in it's much more fun. Not cricket. No, uh, tumbleweed. Oh, tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thing that runs in the street. Oh, cars, yeah, that, trucks, buses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> tumbleweed. And you can hear the tumbleweeds sort of going down the street. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, oh yeah. Gold. And the Thank banjo you. playing. Ding 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 ding. Okay. Oh, no, no, that's, now you've been judgmental. <laughs> uh, okay, we better not. Uh, no. <laughs> that. Good luck don't, with that. don't want to um, to insult anybody. Um, yeah, okay. So a bit too far away, low S, uh, C for scores, um, and yeah. But there is a train line, and that's what, this is a good example. I guess people go, but there's a train line. There's a train line. As if that's the the single most important ingredient to actually choosing somewhere to live. I used to live close to the end of a train line, right, and in the Shire. 
And I have to say that you wouldn't use the train at night because I did. It was it did not feel safe at the end of the train line. Like when I in the inner city, I'll get the train at night any time. There's lots of people around, but but mm. yeah, and these these extremities. Personally, I wouldn't buy at the end of a train line. I probably should have mentioned that about Fernie Grove. <laughs> you don't go out at night, that's for sure. You don't. C, for, C for nine. That's different. That is different, yes. All right, so we've. I better ring Colleen and say, Colleen, <laughs> do not go yeah, and buy that Colleen, place for these other reasons. Tune into the show. Tune into the show. Hit us with the next one. Okay, we've got Alan. And, look, I've got a bit of a confession to make on this one. Do you know how a while ago, Chris, we changed our little promo on the in the um, – the podcast that it says, you know, send your questions to questions yep. at theelephantnaroon.com.au. Um, we had a bit of a glitch and that wasn't being monitored. So this is a bit old, um, oh, sorry, this question, Alan. and I do apologise, Alan. Other I hope you're still listening. But it was such a good question that I threw it into suburb karaoke. Okay, um, how do you see the future of mining towns in North Queensland going? We bought a two-bedroom unit in Mackay in 2000, or Mackay, I should say, um, 2012. <laughs> we lived in it for six years and moved to New South Wales. We kept it as a rental property and has been tenanted by the same person since. Rents have been slowly increasing and now the values are growing. The value is almost at our debt level and if we were to sell, we would be left with little to no mortgage. This is a horrible, sad bit though. Over the 11 years of owning it, we've always had negative equity. Oh, two bedroom, mm. one bathroom, one garage, decent size yard, three in the block, cul-de-sac street, not far from the Mackay CBD. Right, the question is, should they sell now when they have zero equity and get rid of a poor performing asset or have we been through the worst and should we hold on for the long term and look at keeping it as a high yield asset, increasing cash flow eventually? Sell. <laughs> I would have thought that without looking at the numbers, actually. Just that story <laughs> says to me, Sel, but, yeah, go. <laughs> Tell us why you say that. Okay, so houses and units in Mackay, um, both of them have had a poor 10-year track record. So houses, 0%, zero oh. donor percent mm. per annum in the SA3 of Mackay. Units have had a minus, it's a minus, mm. a negative 1.9% per annum. Ouch. So for the sake of the good news story that rents went up 20 bucks. A week in the last 12 months, you've had to put up with a lot of bad news uh, on the capital side of it. So mm. uh, units generally have a 50-55% um, lower long-term growth rate of houses. We covered that earlier on. But that's one of the reasons why they stand out on investors' mm. radars because it's positive cash flow and, you know, you, you know the, the rest of the story. Yes. It's a trap. Yeah. Watch out. It's like the meme from Star Wars. So... Um, it is a bit of an issue and there's going to be a lot more of these traps. So um, listings inventory in Mackay right now, they're starting to build. So uh, they're heading towards that eight-month uh, worth of, of stock. So I would I would say, you know, it's probably going to start to get soft. It's going to soften further. So you probably would have been ideal selling it six months ago. Which is pretty much when he sent the question. So I, my yeah. apologies, and I hope that you've but actually made the call. <laughs> this is unfortunately the 2022 conundrum we've got with clients versus 2021. In 2021, we had lots of clients who came to us in properties like this, and we're like, take advantage of first-home buyers and investors who are entering the market right now and buying because of low interest rates and buying stuff that's buying everything because there's FOMO in the market. Mm. Um and buying poor assets at big prices because things can easily shift. And the affordability market is going to shift fast because affordability is going to very quickly flip from 2% interest rates to 3% to 4%, right? And they're very much watching more – because uh, they've only got a little bit, 
Um, they don't want to risk it. They're more likely to sit on their hands because they don't want to take a risk and lose all their money, etc. And so they're going to completely evaporate from the marketplace. Yes, there's going to be state government incentives like 5% deposits and stamp duty exemptions to get them to come back. But, you know, your, your ship might have sailed, unfortunately. And, you know, what you sell it for in 2022 might not be what 2021 is. The fundamental issue is that in Mackay, high-income families and high-income people in Mackay, are they ever going to want your unit? No. Um, can they build more of them? Yes. Um, if prices went up for units, would they build more of them? Yes, because that means they could build more of them and they could sell them. And so, absolutely, it's just flawed from a fundamentals point of view. Mm. You may not lose money on a dollar value because you may be able to sell it for you know $10,000 more next year or two years' time. What you're losing is time. You've lost in this situation not any money potentially, but you've owned this, what was it, 11, 11 years? 11 years. It's the opportunity so you've lost cost. 11 years. And you've, what you've potentially gone from is when you could have um, potentially bought a really good asset and had now 11 years of growth and 11 years of rental increases that are now paying off the mortgages, etc. Now you're potentially at an age where you won't, don't want to go back into residential property. So what you do is with your proceeds, you just pay off your home, and um, but you're not going to buy another asset. And so not you haven't just lost 11 years in growth. You've lost potentially 20 or 30 years of growth of what you would have got if you bought a better asset 11 years ago and i know that's not to make you feel worse but what you are losing is the opportunity cost of time of being in a better asset so if you wait three years it's even more likely that you're not going to go and buy another property because you're going to get even closer to retirement and less wanting to buy property so don't even know your age alan but that's the issue is the opportunity cost here of what you should be doing with your money and focusing your effort and attention on and unfortunately what we also see veronica you'd see this too because you've been burnt once, you then apply that same logic mm. on the whole of, I hate property, you know, I hate tenants, I'm just going to put my money in shares or I'm not going to. And that's the biggest thing that we see is investors buy one, they make a mistake, they sell out and they never go near property again because they've been burnt. True. And they don't want to make the same mistakes twice. So hopefully it works out, Alan. But, um, yeah, I don't think the good news in 2022. But if you can, if you can just, you know, we had a client sell an apartment in Brisbane um, just a, a month or so ago and, They've been clients for years and, and they end up getting a really good prize. I don't know how. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, they just got out. An investor bought it and they got what they – and it, so and they got a much better price than I thought they'd ever get. Um, and so they, they, and they maybe they were just on the tail end before this fear of rates really jumped because um, it was a couple of months ago. But, yeah, just have a crack and, yeah, get out. I think, you know, it's – you said earlier there, Chris, that some people get burnt because of a bad experience. And this is an excruciating experience because it's been 11 years and, you know, they've had negative equity the whole time. Um, and even now if they sell, they only cover the debt. They don't cover the actual what they paid. Yeah. So I think that says to me that even if you've missed the boat, um, still sell is, you know, you've obviously got to make sure you can pay out the loan but it's costing you the longer you hold it, even if the prices have fallen, right, again, you know. So I think that that's something that has to be looked at seriously. But mm. in terms of like, you know, people like you, you're burnt, you'd never get back into property, you know, think, oh, I'll buy shares instead. Honestly, I think a lot of people should think about buying shares rather yeah, than property. Yeah, point, yeah. Um, you know, like, and I, I don't know about Alan's circumstances back back 11 years ago, but potentially it was driven there because of affordability. You know, if people are driven to certain areas for affordability, they're thinking, oh, negative gearing because it might have been brand new, whatever, whatever it was. But if you actually can't afford a, a good asset and you're going to go backwards financially, it, it would actually be better not to borrow any money and just use your deposit and buy some shares. You'd actually be better mm. off, you well, know. Super has been 
fantastic for a lot of people for the last, you know, yeah. 10 years. Top up your super. Absolutely, can. people forget about super. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. They go, well, you know, I've started getting on top of my mortgage. Maybe I should go buy an investment property. Okay, well, what are you doing? And, you know, what are you doing with your super? I don't know. Well, maybe I should maximize that. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you should go and talk to an advisor around that. Or maybe I've got equity and means I've got to buy a cheap property, you know, maybe I should just use that equity and buy some shares or maybe I should renovate my house or upgrade my house. And mm. uh, unfortunately, people just go, easy decision, I'll buy an investment property um, just without all those other comparisons, alternative strategies, financial advisors call them. Um, and, yeah. But the, look, there is, is, I actually did a strategy session today with, with a couple who, you know, they've got some money they could use today to buy an investment property but not enough to buy a good one right and thankfully they put their hand up and said look i just want to sort of get some advice around this and you know we were sort of talking about i guess their friends and social circle and their peers effectively all talking about the investment properties and all the rest of it now there's pressure to conform that oh it must be the thing to do you know and there are lots of other ways you can invest and there's a lot of people that losing money in property don't even know it and they even after they sell, they don't even know. If they made a gain, they think they did well. They don't actually realise the money left on the table because they could have made other decisions. So I just think there's not enough consideration and a holistic viewpoint mm. um, and there's mm. just too much faith um, of purely, in, uh, you know, in property in this country. Mm. People don't sit around the, the table or at the bar bragging about how much their soup has gone up. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all there. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, or that they don't note. tell about how much their properties or their shares or their things have gone down, Tanked. right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and whatever they do say, um, you know, take it all with a grain of salt at a barbecue with a few drinks in behind their belt. Um, you know what people are like. They always exaggerate their returns and forget the cost and forget, oh, they had to reno that place. And you know what? It wasn't leased for six months. And, mm. you know, and, um, yeah, and so, yeah, it's the numbers when we you know, ask people around their incomes and their property values, then we say, all right, send us your pay slips. Oh, that isn't what you were told us you were earning. And, oh, actually, you know what? You thought it was a 715 of ours coming at 620. And um, and so, yeah, just be always careful of uh, believing what people say as well. Well, not only like that, um, you know, I've said it many times before. You've probably heard me say it before. You'll hear me say it again. It's the people that come to me and say, I've done really well in property. And I always say, tell me how over what period of time, for starters, they'll, they'll always give me raw numbers, you know, dollar figures. They won't give me percentages. They won't tell me what, what period of time. They won't tell me what their options were and whether that was better better or worse than what they could have. I mean, like, because no one thinks that way. They Honestly, even the smartest people say to me, I made X dollars. I'm like, right, how long did you own it for? Yeah, like you say, Chris, did you spend any money renovating it? Like, seriously, mm, it, yeah. it's not that simple. Anyway. Yeah, we um, literally had that today and, that's, you know, we had that client who had a place in Melbourne and, uh, you know, great bloke. He just said, you know, the property down here is doing really well. And I was like, right, bring it up on RP data, bang, what would you pay for it? Right, what is it worth now? How many years you held it? You did the calculation in my head, right? Okay. So so this is roughly what it's done. This is what houses have done. Um, and, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so, so it hasn't really done that well, right? And he's like, yeah, okay. But, you know, initially the conversation started, the apartment's doing really well, right? Um and, you know, when you look at how long they've had it for a long time um, and and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting how people, you know, the story we tell ourselves until we, we start to lift the lid on how mm. well actually something has gone compared to the, the comparison. So, 
Yeah, if you're yeah, one of those people, be, don't be afraid to um, you know challenge yourself. You know, like it's it's just a learning for you to then you know your next decisions, and that's that's the you know you're never going to learn anything better than your own mistakes, right? Um, so, I've now these research tools are all available on my website as part of a free membership now. Yes, suburb so trends. everything. Yeah, so there's a whole stack. There's heat maps. There's you name it. It's all there. And it's part of a free membership. Suburbtrends.com.au. Put it in the notes. And, and actually, it's heaps of oh, it is in there. Well, I've got it as .com. Is it .com or .com.au? It's both. It oh, redirects. There you go. It's, um, it's fun to play with. <laughs> Thanks, Kent. That's been another great trip around Australia. We didn't go to WA, but we've been almost everywhere else. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. I really enjoyed that. Keep them coming. Uh, Let's do another our, one. To our listeners, send us some new suburbs. Um, we like to uh, explore the map, considering we all just work from home all the time. So We'll watch out for the emails this time. It's like going travelling. <laughs> Living vicariously. Yes. Alrighty. See you next okay. time. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.